Welcome everyone to another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And before we get into today's conversation with a good friend of mine, Ray McKenzie, before we get into the conversation, I want to run something by you to give this conversation more context. Currently, the small business makeup in the United States is as follows. 99.7% of U.S. employer firms are small businesses. 64% of net new private sector jobs come from small businesses. 49.2% of private sector employment comes from small businesses. 42.9% of private sector payroll comes from small business. 46% of private sector output comes from small business. And 43% of high-tech employment comes from small business. Small business is really the bloodline of the United States. And with that being said, it makes me wonder why all the big businesses are making all the rules. Why are they deciding everything that's going on in this country? But my friend Ray is stopping by today to even the playing field to give us a tool to be able to operate on the same level with our customer service, with our interaction, and with our user experience, with our, with our clients, and with the customers that we serve. So if you are interested in learning how to level the playing field, this conversation is for you. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to Black Equity Podcast. for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. I am excited about this conversation. Uh, we're actually going to get into diving into, you know, how do you uh, consult um, major companies? How do you sit down with a major company and offer them consulting, offer them advisement? You know, what does that world look like? And uh, joining me for this conversation is uh, Ray McKenzie. Ray, welcome to Black Equity. All right. Thank you for having me, DJ. Um, it's an honor to be here. Honor to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Gosh. So Ray McKenzie, um, probably a 20 year veteran in terms of technology. Um, mm -hmm. I spent the first 15 years of my career um, between San Francisco, Washington, D.C. and anywhere abroad and anywhere in between. Um, leading a lot of tech operations, network operations, service delivery groups, um, strategy groups, business operational groups. Um, and so I've worked in early stage companies uh, that were kind of burning cash. And then I've worked in public companies that were kind of uh, bringing in the cash. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. and then back to early stage companies um, that were burning cash again. And so uh, kind of my background is, is pretty varied in terms of size of company. And then about five years ago, uh, started my own firm, uh, Red Beach Advisors, uh, which is a technical management consulting firm uh, focused on strategy, 
operational ex, um, efficiency and digital transformation through technology. And so that, that's kind of been going for about five years or so um, and, and been going fantastic. And we've got clients such as AWS and Microsoft, and Hewlett Packard, and State Farm, Cargill, uh, Unisys, uh, Microfocus, a, a pretty good roster of companies that we've worked with. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward to um, probably a year ago, uh, I needed a tool um, within my company, uh, needed a service management platform that was easy, that was built for business leaders, and that's efficient. And I decided to start uh, a startup named Starting Point. So uh, Starting Point is a software as a service platform, um, primarily serving business leaders in regards to service management, uh, file storage, and team collaboration. Wow. Okay. So we got a lot to get into. Uh, (laughs) So let's do this with uh, Red Beach Advisors. How do, for someone who may be listening to this episode, I'm going to kind of approach this conversation as if I am them. They may be interested in having their own consulting company. They may be interested in advising companies. How did you go about being able to build that type of a roster or that type of portfolio with some of the major corporations around the world being your clients. Okay. So I'll I'll rewind a bit to probably my last, before I stepped into Red Beach Advisors, um, I had been traveling across the world once a month and I say LA to Belgrade, Serbia to Munich and Frankfurt to London, back to Los Angeles once a month. Mm -hmm. So I had took a day off, um, and I went to the beach, you know, we live, we live in a beach area in California and I went to the beach to have lunch on that day off. And then next thing you know, I saw a lot of other people that were out there who were having lunch at this very odd time, which was like 1 PM, 2 PM in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Mm. And I was like, well, typically about this time I would be in the office from seven to seven. So I, I don't, I have no idea why people are out here at one, two o'clock, just acting like they have nowhere to be. Mm-hmm. And so I started having lunch and then I was just sitting at the a restaurant bar and other people were there and they were having a great time. And so I just started asking them and we struck up conversations, random conversations. I started asking them, you know, what do you do for a living? And they were asking me what I did for a living. And then essentially leaving that lunch, I came away with the ability to kind of do that or have that freedom of time or quality of life led to um, owning your own company. So I left that lunch saying, hey, I want to start my own company. A week later, uh, I got two calls from two CEOs saying I needed, they needed my help or my services that, you know, in my previous experience in working with them, they knew I was an expert at. Mm. And so that kind of lent me into consulting because they were like, hey, we, we don't need you full time just yet, but we've got projects that you, you'd be perfect for. And so I said, well, I'm still in my full time job, but I do want to do this. So let's jump into doing both. So then I'd take a day off on my full-time job. I'd fly to Phoenix or I'd fly to San Francisco. And then I'd consult and then bring the project back. And then I'd work kind of day and night, whatever. And that's how I fell into consulting. So it wasn't like I planned to do it. It wasn't like I was really designed to do it. Or, you know, I went to, um, you know, a specific school or, or work went the route of working for Accenture or some of these other Deloitte or some of these other firms. I just kind of fell into it just through my network. And so that was when that was about five, six years ago. And, and you know, that's kind of how it started. And so I really just took the 15 years of experience in my career 
and all of my experience that I had gained in terms of successes within companies and the varied size of company that I work with. And I took that experience and translated it into a service offering. And by turning it into a service offering, that service offering is what I started to offer to companies. Um, and then in terms of offering with companies, I started to build relationships with other either consulting firms or getting introductions or developing relationships with people with other companies and then taking that service offering into those companies or by offering it through partners. So in the consulting world, it's kind of, um, you know, it's a lot of relationships. You know, relationships open the doors for you for you to get into companies. And so by having those relationships and just kind of building those over times with other consulting firms or, or other people that have resources or can make introductions for you, you know, if you have a good reputation and you have a professional appearance and you have um, kind of the know-how and you have people who can speak towards referencing the work you've done, you can have some success, you know, without having to go the route of, you know, the Deloitte's or the Accenture's and, and going that route to verify, you know, what you know. You know, I spent 15 years of building a strong reputation of delivery on services, delivering on team leadership, uh, delivering on strategy, delivering on efficiency and technology. And so to take that and to port that over into a consulting firm, while it didn't necessarily hit me over the head that I should have did that, you know, that kind of led into everything else. And so, you know, for me being, I think I was 35 when I started my firm. So I was just kind of like, hey, just let's get into it and let's turn and burn. Let's let's get into it. Let's develop some great relationships. Uh, let's let's definitely take and learn from older people who have also had their own consulting firms. So it was working and partnering with people who had 20 years more experience specifically in consulting, had their own consulting companies with 20 plus years of experience or more. And so, you know, I it's tough to say, but it's more like, Hey, you learn from them and then you incorporate it into your business. I love that. And so, so go ahead. And so that's, that's kind of how I built Red Beach advisors. And then it's just a matter of relationships and following up on opportunities, the relationships and following up on opportunities. And then, you know, I call it building a better mousetrap, which is, you know, have people be available to find you you know, have the blogs, have the articles, be on the podcast, um, make yourself known of what you can offer without, but always focusing on what you can deliver on, you know, which is not necessarily saying I'm an expert at this and I'm an expert at that. And I'm an expert at this because really we're supposed to always continue to learn. Mm -hmm. Things change and you should always learn, but make sure you, whatever you're talking about is talking about delivering your ability to perform at a high level for companies. And then as you do that, more and more people will start to understand and call and learn and say, Hey, let's have a phone call. Can I repeat back what I think I'm hearing? Yes. I feel like your gift makes room for you. Kind of in a way, in did, a way. Did you knowing what you know now, could you have started your consulting firm, even though you said you had that 15 years of experience, could you have started it at 10 years of experience? Could you have started um, at five? 
or was it the, the needing of mastering was, the skills? I, I needed to go through the 15 years. Okay. I needed to go through the 15 years. Um, and, and, that, and that's fine, you know, because a lot of people don't become consultants until they're 50, 55 sometimes or break away and start their own firms until then. Uh, I, needed the, I needed the 15 years, you know, which was fine because I had worked in multiple environments, leading multiple global teams, um, working on great projects, having great success. And all of those things allowed me to kind of continue to build my skill set. And by being able to build my skill set, then I was really able to deliver. Yes. You know, so while you think at five years, yeah, I've learned something. Until you've really done it with, you know, companies where I've worked in companies that have been under 20 people. Um, I've worked in companies that are over 10,000, 15,000, 30,000 people. And then I've led teams that are across eight different countries. And, and led teams that are more than 500 people full time before I was even 30 years old. And so all of that experience, you know, and, and the good, the bad, the ugly, the late nights, the early mornings, the no sleep nights, all of that builds kind of your ability to deliver and performance and, and what you can get done. So I feel like now I have to go to, cause I'm seeing where the transition was at that 15 year mark. What inspired everything that led up to those 15 years? Like, how did you enter into your uh, career uh, to be able to master some of these things and be able to learn some of these skill sets that eventually would lead to uh, having those 15 years of experience and then launching uh, Red, Red Beach Advisors? Was there, was there a catalyst? Go ahead. There was probably a few different things. I'd say it's a combination of personal stuff and then, and then, um, you know, just a professional career kind of experience. Uh, first things first, you know, I, I, my oldest son is, is about to be 20. So I had him when I was 21. Every time you tell me that, I'm like, come on now, something ain't adding up. <laughs> but go ahead. So uh, my wife and I, our first son, he was born when I was 21. Okay. So it was like, hey, you got to find a job. Now with that, um, you know, in college, I had an internship at San Diego Transit Authority. So I was in the IT department there. So that's kind of how I got my first experience with um, IT and computers in a corporate setting. And I don't even count that in my 15 years of experience. Okay. Um, with that being said, with 15 years of corporate experience. So then from there, um, I, I really just, you know, out of college, I've, I found an opportunity with a couple of tech companies early on. And so uh, the kind of the first one that we had massive success with, um, I joined and I was an early employee in the company. And I, I made the switch from being the system administrator, network administrator, the back office guy that doesn't really talk too much. And, you know, he just comes by, fixes your computer. You say, thank you. And he goes about his way. He or she goes about her, their way. It was more of a... I switched to an external facing role where I was leading a service delivery group where I was interfacing with customers and clients. And so I then really learned that I had the ability to talk and communicate mm -hmm. well. Right. And so through communication and being able to talk well, that allowed me and my career to kind of accelerate because then I'm bringing a different value to the company that I'm working for. 
So I'm able to close clients. I'm able to retain clients. I'm able to work with clients directly through challenges and things of that nature. I'm able to work with all the groups inside the company. I'm not just the IT guy, you know, right. problems. I'm, I'm showing value because I've got to talk to multiple. I've got to talk to salespeople, account managers, um, finance people, customers, clients. I've in my own staff, I've got to talk to everybody. So the ability to talk and the ability to communicate really allowed my career to accelerate. Okay. Then from there, that kind of opened the door to working with a lot of different clients, developing my network of individuals that I worked with and, you know, and that I helped. And, you know, over the course of the next four and a half years, I developed a lot of great relationships with that company. You know, not only people inside the company, but um, customers and clients. And that's, that's kind of how that happened. That was kind of the big transition was technically I was fine. Technically, I kind of knew my IT stuff, but the challenge, the switch was being able to really communicate with people. And then that ability to communicate with people, whether it be talking or whether it be relating to or whether it be understanding and listening, that took my career to a different level, which was Mm. I was then able to hire people and I was able to retain a lot of staff. And I was able to have great relationships with people I hired and worked with and, and brought their careers forward too. I still, to this day, still talk to a majority of the people that worked for me in some capacity in my career. So, you know, and, and their careers have gone on to reach new heights and they call me if they need anything, if they need a reference. And sometimes they're older than me. So, you know, most times they're older than me. I'll put it that way. But you know, I have great relationships. My ability to communicate allowed that to happen. So with you communicating, I'm also hearing that you started transforming into a leader, if I'm hearing that correctly. Yeah, yeah. What was that first or one of the first uh, few times uh, when you became a leader, what clicked for you or what changed for you when you start going into a leadership role uh, instead of just being technical per se? Um, the leadership role allowed me, I'd say that switch happened when, um, you know, I, I had to hire somebody because I, I was working around the clock a lot. It was an early stage company. So we all were working around the clock a lot. I was working around the clock 24 seven, you know, and, and it was busy. And then we had to find some resources that could help. And so really it was just about learn, understanding when to delegate and how to teach people what to do. Mm. That, that force, forcing me to have to delegate and then teaching somebody what to do in the case of in the task that I assigned them, that led, every, that led to everything else. So it was build a scalable system that somebody can repeat, then teach them the scalable system, and then train, and, 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 and train them and work with them to continue to teach them and evolve the platform. And so as I, as I kind of had to, was forced to do that for the betterment of the company and myself, mm-hmm. that kind of led to more leadership. And so it was just continue to build and implement scalable systems, teach people that are competent and that can that have the desire to do the job, and then continue to coach. Continue to coach, continue to train, continue to develop. When you talk about delegation and kind of being forced to that, was that because if you didn't delegate, then you would be trying to take on too much on your own plate? And so that's, that's why you 
had to delegate or was it something else? Yeah, if we didn't delegate, probably the company wouldn't have succeeded. Companies would have, would have our churn would have been sky high. Mm -hmm. We would have lost customers. Uh, you know, there was a heavy reliance in terms of the departments I was leading. And so to, to, to operate effectively and efficiently, we had to delegate. You had to have people in multiple roles, you know, and, and so that was, that was kind of the point. Why do you think so? Because I've heard this narrative out there, so I, I want to tackle it just real quick. Why do you think people are so afraid to delegate and kind of let go of that control or uh, having to do it themselves? You may, I don't know if you have that answer, but I'm, I'm wondering yeah, I mean, why I've that seen, happens. I've seen that quite a bit, which is people want to be the master of their domain. Mm. And they don't want other people to, to do that. The challenge with that is, if you're if you only if you're the only person that knows your role, you're stuck in that role forever, and you can't grow. Right. You know. So if you want to just hey, I've got this role. I know this inside and out. This is perfect. This is you know I've got things running as it should, and I, you know I, I can just be here for for whatever. I'm the one that owns it, and you think that's job security? That's not job security. Because at some point, what's out there is going to evolve. And the company is going to want to move in that new direction. Mm. And so the goal for you is, is, or for anybody who is looking to try to protect, become a master of what you know, and then go continue to learn. Yeah. Go learn and try something else. Always continue to learn. Like if you continue to learn throughout your career, you know, you, you are, you can present yourself as irreplaceable because you can then morph and learn and continue to adapt and be agile and be like, Hey, I can play this new role and I can learn this over here. I can learn this over here. I can do this. And, and it doesn't take me long to learn. You know, once you get stuck, if you do the same thing for 15 years, once you get thrust in a role to where you have to learn. And if the company says you've got to do something different, then you have a challenge, you know? So you always want to be flexible. I used to tell people that worked for me that I hired, I used to be like, you should not be in the same position for longer than two to three years. If you're in the same position from two to three years from when I hired you, I did something wrong, you know? And, and that was on me, which is- I like that you know, you have two to three years to perfect the role that you're in and be great. And then at that point, you should either move up in my department or move to another department in another company or move to another company. That's possible. That's fine. It's okay to do that too. But my goal is to develop careers. My goal isn't just, I just need to hire somebody to type the letter H a hundred times a day and do it perfectly on time, on beat every day. Right. My job is to make sure you know all the keys on the keyboard and mm. go everywhere else. I like that. When you say, hey, you know, you should get to the point where you're wanting to learn new skill sets. What was one of those? I know you had the technical background. 
what's one of those those skill sets that you've learned during those 15 years? And I know you're still learning today, but what was one of those skill sets that you learned that you didn't even think that you would ever learn or uh, even try to adopt, but it's something that has helped you uh, up until this day? I'd say um, the ability to uh, write really sharp messaging and documentation. Mm, tell me more. Which is, you know, when you're an IT per- when you're an IT person or a system administrator, network administrator, your job is all about, you know, plugging in solutions, and making sure the solutions work fine, um, and moving on to the next challenge. You know, um, versus having to write instructional documentation or write marketing messaging, you know, mm. for products and services. Um, that stuff has helped me immensely in my career, which is, you know, you need to be able to present, you need to be able to convey your message. You need to be able to share that not only through just spoken word, but also through written formats. You know, I'm not necessarily the greatest graphic designer at all in any way, shape or form, but I can put together the content in a way to where um, it can be either presented in whatever format it needs to be in, or the messaging can be translated to websites, or it can be translated to, you know, other presentations, or it can be used for documentation for, for customers and clients worldwide. And so, you know, when you come in, you're coming in, you're thinking, gosh, I, I learned a lot of technical capabilities. I, I know how to install this application. I know how to customize this application. I know how to customize this system or this hardware or software. That's great. But none of that means I need to be able to write instructions so other people can do it, or I need to be able to convey my message to other people. I've been able to do, do both, you know, which is be able to execute, but also be able to train and learn, train and teach. With that teaching, I'll segue just a little bit. I think that that kind of allows you then, as you've built uh, Red Beach Advisors to be able to advise companies, having that teaching ability. I could be wrong. You can correct me. But having that teaching ability for someone who uh, is showing up to this episode to to learn about the advising world, the consulting world, take us a, a little bit into that world. What does it look like when you are teaching these uh, major corporations things that they don't know? Are they receptive to learning something new? Is, it, is there, uh, is there a, a blockage uh, at first of, hey, we don't want that new information? What is that like with some of these Fortune 500 companies that you're, you're talking to? You know, sometimes it's not all about teaching. Okay. More so about augmenting teams. Okay. You know, which is they have a gap in the organization or a gap in a department or a skill set they're lacking and they need somebody who's proficient in that to come in and execute on task and get that done, you know, or, or I, you could say, check that blind spot for other companies. So especially when it comes to, you know, a strategy, for instance, you know, strategy is one of the pillars of Red Beach Advisors. So, you know, we've got a, a very strong knowledge of, of technical products in regards to cybersecurity, um, cyber applications, cyber fraud, cyber intelligence, internet infrastructure, internet security. Uh, so with that, you know, when companies say, hey, we want to compete in this space or 
we need solutions that we need to implement in a specific space. You know these tools backwards and forwards. Um, what should we use and how should we implement it? And so you are teaching them a bit, but you're really bringing your skill set into the organization to then be able to formulate a solution and then hand that solution off to them and say, here you go. When you walk into those doors or you're speaking with them, do they already know the problem? Are you, are you having to diagnose it or is it a mixture of both? Typically, it's a mixture of both. Typically, you know, it can be, it's, it's usually a mixture of both, which is we know we're not hitting the mark somewhere, somehow. Okay. But we don't quite know what that is. Okay. And so it's like, hey, we know we have a gap, but we can't pinpoint exactly where that gap is. So then sometimes you have to come in, you have to do a layer of discovery and then through the discovery, go through and provide, you know, an assessment of, of kind of where the problems are and then go ahead and solve the challenges and then provide your in solution. When you're looking for those problems, do they jump out at you? Or is there a lot of research, a lot of digging, a lot of uh, cross-referencing with maybe uh, other case studies? What is your process of diagnosing that problem and finding oh. the right streamlined solution? You know, for the most part, a lot of the discovery aspect, you know, it will, will highlight the challenges. Okay. You know, whether it be process, whether it be technology, or whether sometimes it's people. Talking will more than likely bring those things to light. You know, it can even be as simple as, hey, you know, whoever the executive sponsor is introduces you to everybody who's involved in the project. And then that one person just decides to not schedule a meeting with you. Mm. You know, that's something that highlights a problem, which is the executive sponsor says, this is what we have to accomplish everybody on the in the project team is like great let's do it such 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 except that one person who just won't respond to emails won't schedule time to have conversations won't make themselves available is all of a sudden too busy for a 30-minute conversation or an hour conversation you know that can be highlighted too that's something you've experienced you know or it can even be somewhere along the line of having to pivot and change the phrasing of what your company provides and does you know which is hey um gosh you know we're using terms that aren't relevant in today's, you know, society. Yeah. Or, you know, we're utilizing terms of we're comparing ourselves to technology that was hot in the market five to seven years ago. You know, you have to, you know, continuously identify those challenges, but a lot of it just comes through just the discovery process. You know, whether looking at past collateral, um, reviewing, you know, technology that companies are using, reviewing process and procedure, and then just talking to team members. Before we go to a starting point, I have at least one final question, and maybe your answer will lead me to ask another one, but how do you know that you're done or you've completed your mission when you are advising or consulting with these companies? Is that something that's set out in the beginning, like we, we need this to be completed, or is it something that is always organically evolving during the process? Yeah, it's something that's typically um, outlined at the beginning. Okay. So, you know, you, you engage in a project, 
you start a project, you draft a, a scope of work. That scope of work has a series of deliverables. And then once those deliverables are done or the goal is achieved, then you move forward. Okay. So then that's, that's kind of the end of it. Now, sometimes in doing the work, you highlight other areas or gaps that can be resolved too. And maybe that leads to follow on work or follow on engagements, you know, which is possible. Um, but, you know, for the most part, that's outlined up front. You know, you, you never want to get into an engagement without a goal defined at the end. And so I do, I do have a follow up on that one then. So if you do find those other gaps, you'll, you'll be transparent and say, here are the other gaps. If you would like for us to review those, let us know. We'll be more than happy to, to on our second project or third project, come back and work toward the, towards those goals. Exactly. I mean, okay. no consultant. And, and one of the tough things that consultants get a bad rap is, you know, you go into, you say, hey, I'm a hire a consultant. If I'm a business owner, you say, hey, I'm a hire a consultant. And then next thing you know, you're paying a consultant for 12, 18, 24 months, and you haven't really seen any definitive progress. The challenge with that, right. <laughs> the challenge with that, and why that happens is because as a business owner, you really should have a defined scope of work that outlines what the job at hand is, what the tasks to deliver are, and what the final deliverables are, and then a date of completion. Oh, so you know going into it what the expected date of completion is yeah. from the very beginning. Yes. Okay. Yes. I tried to do that. Yes. Have you seen, and uh, sorry, you, you, you're inspiring more questions. Uh, have you seen where the date of completion is not reasonable and then that, that date is negoti negotiated? Yeah, that date is negotiable from the beginning. Okay. You know, so you set, you set a start date, you set an end date, and you set some deliverables as to what your scope of work will be. Okay. Thank so you. As you kind of outline that, uh, you know, I would say no consultant should ever draft a scope of work that doesn't include that. You know, okay. is, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what's included in what we're going to do. These are the final deliverables. This is the date and time in which we're going to accomplish this. And this is how much I'm going to get paid to do the work. Thank you. So with all this experience, all the different things that you've seen in your life, now you've launched Starting Point. And you told us a little bit about Starting Point earlier uh, in this episode. If you could tell us a little bit more ab about the company and exactly what the uh, vision and the mission is for the organization. Yeah, so Starting Point, um, and the website is www.startingpoint.ai. Um, Starting Point is a white-labeled service management software as a service platform for small companies and teams, okay? And, and the idea came from me in my consulting company and my background in service delivery and operations, needing a tool that allowed myself and my consultants and my clients and customers to securely interact and engage and get answers to their questions and share documents and, and collaborate without having a lot of difficult tools to integrate in one, if I can say that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wanted to build a tool that was, I, and by the way, I've seen almost every tool in the service delivery, service management, operational management, um, arena across multiple verticals um, throughout my career. So I, I saw a gap to where 
there's there's tools that are out there that are that are fantastic tools and they work for companies that are you know 20 people 50 people 100 people on to 10,000 people and it, it can work great however the bigger the tool the more the bigger the tool or the bigger group it can support the more complex the tool gets right and so that complexity leads to challenges for business leaders because if you're a business leader if you're an accountant or CPA you know numbers right you don't necessarily know software and applications and systems and things like that if you are um city and public and administration you know city and public administration in terms of process and procedure to execute business licenses permits um different government documents things of that nature but you don't necessarily have a system that can provide that um what we wanted to do was build a service management platform for clients and customers to interact with small and medium-sized companies and teams that didn't need code, you could fire up and use within one hour, and then it was efficient and lean, which means you only needed, you only need really three to four steps to accomplish anything inside of the platform. So it doesn't take 10, 15, 20 different clicks to do certain things. Three to four clicks, done with that task. Right. You know? And so it's built for simplicity, it's built for ease of use, um, it's built for business leaders. It's built for smaller companies and teams. Um, our target is teams between two to 20 individuals, but it really could be used for anybody two to 50 and on up. And so uh, we launched that in May of this year. Um, you know, the tool came from building it for my firm specifically, but then going through the process of the past year building it, I talked to about, I'd say, more than 150 different small companies, small to mid-sized companies in teams, and just really evaluated, hey, what are your needs in terms of running your company? And from my perspective, I was always in these companies from a consultant perspective. So I saw what people used, what people didn't use, what challenges were, and either I was a consultant for them, or I knew them from our business communities, or I had past relationships with the companies, um, whether we worked together in the past, or um, they were vendors of mine, you know, of my consulting company. So I saw a lot of the challenges across all of these companies. And I said, they're having some of the same problems I'm having. How about I build something that allows them to solve those same challenges? And yeah. that starting point came from. From what? I'm hearing you. I think it's important for us to talk about SaaS just for one moment. I think on the 300 something episodes, we may have touched on SaaS for maybe five minutes. But SaaS is, uh, to me, it's one of the best places to invest in. It's a growing area. If you could, what is SaaS and why should more business owners and investors know about SaaS? And why did you end up using that as uh, the, the way that you would get your, your tool to the, to the marketplace? Yeah. So software is, a, so traditionally there was a shift within software. Okay. And, and software used to be, you used to get, um, I don't want to date myself, um, but you used to get floppy disk. <laughs> you yeah. used to get CDs. Um, you used to get those things when you bought new computers. Okay. Right. So when you bought new computers, 
you would get a set of software with it. It'd be on the disc or CD or something like that. And so when you get it, you'd install the software. Now, when you'd install the software, that was it. That was mm -hmm. the version of software you had. Right. If there was another version of software that came out, you had to go buy it. Yep. You had to get the physical disc and you had to go ahead and install it on your desktop. Right. Okay. So what software as a service is, the software as a service is software that's available online that you, you, you connect to online, whether it be through your browser or through a desktop application. Mm -hmm. and it continuously updates in the background. And so you don't have to go out and get new CDs, new software. You don't have to go upload versions. Software is a service that's available online as a service. And that's the tradition. That's the definition of what SaaS is. Just for the audience to understand, who are some of the quote unquote big players in, in SaaS, I, I, I know we're talking about starting point, but you can see, um, you know, if people typically, you know, Microsoft, okay. huge player, obviously Microsoft office 365, right. You know, you've got Google with G suite in terms right. of Google mail and Google documents. Um, you know, you can even look towards your internet browser as software as a service as possible. Um, you can look towards Adobe Acrobat. Mm-hmm which is another big one. Um, those are all certain companies that provide software as a service for companies and they've moved in that vein. So that's, that's kind of what they provide your regular day-to-day -day users. So when you began developing this tool, you already knew from the very beginning that this was going to be SaaS or did you have to kind of weigh the options of the different uh, types of uh, programs out there? Or did you all always know you were going to go in the SaaS direction? Um, I always knew I was getting into the SaaS direction. Okay. You know, I, yeah, I always knew um, because that was, that was the method for easy distribution. Okay. And leveraging cloud computing solutions, you know, which is um, people are, uh, people are mobile now. And so when I was developing the platform, COVID hadn't hit, the pandemic hadn't hit at all. Right. Okay. I just knew this was something that I needed for my company and other companies that I had talked to at Nome. Then COVID hit. The only thing that's really consistent in the business world is that we have internet still. Right. You know? And so you need the ability to access the platform over the internet as a software, as a service, as much as possible. And it really so protects you by doing that. It protects you from all that that's going out there because it's all computer-based. Exactly. It's all internet-based. It's all hosted on the internet. How long did it take to build out uh, the program? Gosh, man, I had this, I had this idea on the notepad for two years. Mm. I had it on a notepad for two years, and then I said, end of last, end of 2019, I said, gosh, it's time to build it. So September, it's about September 2019, that's really when I kicked off the project. Um, and so I, I started to kind of scope it out you know, find a team, uh, really start to undertake saying, we're going to make this a business and build this tool. You know, worst case scenario, I build it and I use it for Red Beach Advisors. Best case right. scenario, I build it and the people, the 150 people I polled, plus other people that I talked to say, we want to use it. And so right. that's kind of what happened. And so the best... I'd say we're getting closer to the best case scenario, which is we've built it. We've continued to iterate. 
um, continue to improve the product. And, uh, you know, now people are, people are buying it. People are signing up for it to help run their small companies and teams. Okay. So let's get into that for a second. I know you mentioned that it's perfect for two to 20. You also said two to 50 or on up. And you, you mentioned small companies and most of the people who listen to uh, our podcast are going to be small business owners or investors who are investing in small businesses. So I think this is a, a perfect uh, opportunity for them to learn this. And I know the answer may be this is, it may be best for all industries, but does it work particularly best for a certain type of industry or sector? Um, I'd say, yeah, it can. Um, okay. it, we've seen it focus specifically in a couple of different areas. Okay. First is um, accounting and CPAs because accountants and CPAs are business leaders. They know numbers. They don't necessarily know software systems to customize them and things like that. Okay. All right. It works well for um, professional services and consulting firms. Um, so like Red Beach Advisors or like marketing firms or any type of professional services consulting firms, it works great for. Okay. You know, small a small team, you are kind of your expert in your field. This allows you to kind of operate your business and streamline communication with clients and customers and develop, put in some workflow. Um, it also works well for city administration, mm. you know, in terms of um, traditional cities, towns, municipalities that don't always have the best technology in-house, you know, but yeah. they need easy and simplistic tools to where the people are just executing regular functions. Right. You know, and it allows them to manage their citizens, constituents, business owners, things like that easily. Definitely. So who are, what would be the best way uh, if a business owner or investor who has a portfolio of businesses uh, can access starting point? Where, where do they go and how do they access it? I guess the best way would be uh, one start at the website, which is www.startingpoint.ai. Mm -hmm. um, the next thing, if it, I'm always willing to, you know, talk to anybody and, and share insight or guidance or have a conversation or make some introductions. It's kind of, you know, and you know, um, I do know. <laughs> reach out to me at Ray at startingpoint.ai. Uh, and, and just, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm Ray McKenzie, um, founder and CEO of Starting Point. Uh, and I'm kind of the easiest person to find really because I'm all over the internet for a certain extent and I've got a lot of connections, but uh, yeah, I'm always willing to talk. If you've got young listeners who are students, I'm willing to talk to them. Um, I talk to students at Tuskegee University, Alabama A&M and their schools of business and entrepreneurship. Um, always looking to talk with more students um, like us across right. colleges or schools. Uh, you know, and always willing to make myself available for people to talk. Okay. So you, you mentioned a couple things and I, I want to make sure, cause we have this time. So I want to make sure I utilize it correctly. Now you mentioned it starting point dot AI. And for those who don't know, I, I could be wrong, but AI, AI stands for artificial intelligence, right? Yes, that's correct. So what, what part of artificial intelligence is baked into uh, starting point? How does that all connect? So one thing, one thing that we're really trying to drive through the platform is workflow automation. Mm -hmm. You know, so companies are able to devise rules and groups and things like that to be able to streamline 
and create some efficiency within the business. As we continue to grow the platform, which we've kind of developed and, you know, we built, we released it in May of this year. So we're it's still 60 days in um, with good success in terms of paying customers and logos and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, we want to, our end goal is to take all of these technologies that these enterprise level companies use, like the um, Kaiser Permanentes, like the Wells Fargo's, like the um, Google's, like the Intuit's, and bring that technology down to the small to medium-sized company and allow them to use the same level of tools that these companies have in intelligence and bring these down here for easy, the lower companies to have, the smaller to medium-sized companies to have, to compete. Because there's a natural challenge, which is whoever has the best technology typically has the best advantage. Right. It's just kind of how it works. That's how today's business world works. So how do you bridge that gap? And you go and you take these enterprise level technologies and you bring it down to the small to medium sized companies in an easy and efficient and simple fashion. And then that shrinks the gap between the two. You're evening, evening the playing field. Yes, that's the goal. Right. As much as possible. Okay. And I think that's important for, for people to hear. So when they reach out or they uh, start utilizing the product, that they understand the value that they're about to receive. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you mentioned, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, that's the goal. That's the goal. I mean, there's a lot of different technologies and I don't want to give away kind of our product roadmap. Of course not. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that small to medium sized companies can take advantage of um, and they're business leaders mm -hmm. that take advantage of easy technology to grow their business effectively gotcha. and service their customers. Gotcha. Now you, you mentioned this and I want to make sure we get this on the record. You talked about mentoring at places like Alabama A&M, Tuskegee. What has been some of the constant uh, thread through the narrative of what these upcoming entrepreneurs, uh, upcoming people that are uh, entering into the workspace, what are they needing as they're, they're coming into a, a, a new world? And, and so we can be prepared to, to offer them what they need. I mean, we could probably talk another 30 <laughs> Um, but what the things I'd say that, that these students need is, one, they need examples of people that have, you know, achieved certain levels of entrepreneurship and business and success and to reach back to them on these campuses. Right. First, they need to see people like us in positions of power, in positions of influence, um, to where we can go in and share our experiences with them and at least open the doors to give them some insight as to right. like, hey, you can do these things. You know, um, the second thing would be uh, share the concept of being able to dream big with people, with students. You know, think outside of your community, think the world and develop solutions to solve challenges, not only inside your community, but across the world. And the world's much smaller with obviously the internet. Right. At the same time, we have to think big to solve big challenges. Okay. And then I, I want to say the last bit is give back not only in time and discussion with students, but also with finances and money so that these schools can bring in the best speakers 
they can bring in the best technology. They can develop relationships with the bigger companies. We can be feeder schools for some of these large global companies, you know, to where you put us on the level of, hey, if you're looking for students, we're going to go look at uh, Alabama A&M. We're going to go look at Tuskegee. We're going to go look at Prairie View. We're going to go look at Dillard. We're going to go look at some of the South Carolina State. We're going to look at some of these schools so that we don't always just have to go to the Yales, Harvards, um, you know, Penns, um, Stanfords. You know, we can find students like us at these other schools. Ray, what, what I keep hearing from you, and I know we're coming towards the end here, but I keep hearing a, a, a constant theme of evening the playing field, even the playing field. What was it about your experience where you know that that's what we got to do now? What, what happened that, that caused all this to stir up in you? Um, I mean, I was, I, I'm from a small town in California, mm-hmm. from a small town, um, Atwater, California, I'll say it. Atwater, California. I'm kind of the one that always says it. Um, <laughs> from Atwater, it's a really, it's about 25,000 people. Um, you know, we didn't necessarily have the opportunities mm. that everybody else had. And, you know, I had a mom and dad, both were military, um, good, great careers. Uh, but you still don't have those opportunities. And so yeah. I've always been in search of more opportunities, more achievement, and more success. And the level of the playing field is difficult because you just don't have those opportunities. You right. know, coming out of coming out of high school, even though I had a three eight, the the discussion from high school counselors was go to a junior college or go to the military. And nothing's yeah. wrong with those options, but it wasn't even presented to me that I could go to a four year school. Mm. You know, which I which I did. I went to San Diego State. Um, you right. know, and almost went to play football at Jackson State, and almost went to play football at Challen College, and and things like that. And so, it was um. The, the opportunities just weren't there, and the only way to know you have those opportunities is by having a level playing field. Definitely. You know? and, and and so that's kind of what always been my driver you know, which is how do we give the same opportunities to us? And how do we make that happen? Well, I want to say publicly, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, You are not just an inspiration, but I also believe you are a a blueprint. Um, You may not see yourself as that, but I see you as a blueprint for those who may not be going the conventional route. Is that safe to say that it may not be the uh, the the perfect roadmap, but you were able to truly build and carve out your own lane. And uh, I think it's going to be very valuable once everybody listens to this episode to really hear your journey, hear your perspective. Uh, and we thank you. And you know, don't be a stranger. Uh, if, yeah, something, if something comes up in a year or two or, or even sooner, uh, we definitely want to have you back on the show and uh, highlight that and see how we can uh, connect everybody uh, to your vision. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, no, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. Um, I appreciate the ability to be on your platform. Um, I enjoy kind of what you're doing. Uh, I, I like the mission. I like the audience. Um, you know, I like the story that is being told, you know, in any way I can help and give back and, you know, more introductions for you, however I can help you, 
you know, you let me know um, and, and let's build together and let's make it happen. Definitely. Thank you, Ray, for coming on Black Equity. We look forward to speaking with you in the future. And uh, uh, we're going to be watching all your success and hopefully being a part of it as well. All right, definitely. Let's make it happen. Thank you a lot. Thank you. Wow, what a great episode. If you are interested in partnering or collaborating with our guest today or one in the past, send us a message over at blackequitynetwork at gmail.com. Now, if you're a premium member and you're part of our premium Patreon community, you will be able to have access to a personal introduction uh, with any guests that we've ever had on Black Equity Podcast. If that is valuable to you, you need to go be a premium member right now. To learn more about Starting Point, we're going to have a link in the description, in the show notes to learn more about Starting Point. And if you think this is a great fit for you and your company, your organization, let's get you acquainted with Ray and his team over at Starting Point, And let's see if we can make this part of your daily operations. Thank you so much for joining us here at Black Equity Podcast, and we will be talking to you again soon.